Good morning, church. <clears throat> it is good to be with you here uh, this morning in December. Um, and in that sentence, there, there's, there's a word that we're going to spend considerable amount of time this morning uh, thinking about, uh, reading about as it relates to us and to our God. It's a small word. It's only four letters long. It falls in the category of preposition in the English language. I thank my wife, who's an English teacher here uh, in Eureka, for knowing that without having to Google search it. But it's, it's the word with, W-I-T-H. Right? That word with is one that I'm certain we, we use every day, but it's one that we often maybe don't think about. And wherever you've come from this morning, uh, whatever your morning has been like, I want us to take a couple minutes to think about that word uh, with, with a couple of questions. And so the first one I want you to do is to just take a moment and consider the question, who did you spend your, your morning with? All right, so I want you to just let your mind kind of go to faces and to names of the people you spent your morning with. Chances are some of them are sitting right next to you even this morning. And then I want you to, to broaden that out for just a moment and consider who you spent your week with. So not only, not only Sunday morning, but yesterday, Saturday, and Friday, and Thursday, and Wednesday, and Tuesday, and Monday. So think about names and faces that come to mind when you think about who you spent your week with. And I would venture to guess the same people you came up with for Sunday morning are the same people that may have come up in your larger list. Maybe there's uh, more people. Maybe if you are a student, you thought back to your school week and who you spent your time with. Uh, if you were at work this week, maybe they're from home or maybe uh, in the office somewhere, you think about names and faces that come to mind when you think of the people that you spent your week with. Maybe your list is, is really long. Maybe your list is, is pretty small. Right, so what does it mean when we think about those questions of who we spent our morning with or who we spent our week with? For me, some of the, the faces that come to mind in that broader week scope are some of the math teachers at Morton High School that I eat lunch with every day. Uh, we, we gather together and talk about not just numbers, but the things that are going on in our lives as well, what's going on with our, our kids and our wives and our husbands. Um, and I spend time with them each week. I also spend time uh, driving to work. I drive from Eureka to Morton uh, every day to get there. And I, I'm near other people as well in cars as we travel to and from wherever we're going. But there's a reason why those people I eat lunch with come to mind when I think of with and not the people that I'm driving next to in a car. And so when we think about this idea of with, I want us to be reminded that it's not just physical proximity, right? It's not just a physical closeness to someone that really encapsulates this idea of, of with. I imagine and guess that a lot of you have family members that came to mind when you think of that word with and who you spent your time with this week. I think of my, my two boys, Asher and Eli. Asher's 12 uh, and Eli is 9. And over the past 12 and 9 years respectively, I've spent a lot of time with them. And during that time, I've done a lot of dad duty. Um, we've lost some teeth in our house recently, and that reminds me back to times of helping pull them out of their mouth, teaching them to ride bikes helping to feed and clean them and then watching them grow up and be able to do those things on their own. And you guys have done more and more for me as the years have gone on as well. They've been able to help with mealtime. They've learned how to take out trash and do chores and help around the house. But it's not simply just the, the give and the get that is the reason why they go towards the top of my list when I think of the people that I spent my week with. It's not simply because I do things for them or that they do things for me. 
At the top of that list for me is, is my wife, Rebecca. Praise the Lord, we've been married for 16 years now, um, and God has been gracious to us in our time together. And over those years, um, we've been through, through highs and lows, but the reason that her name and her face comes to the top of my list when I think of the people I've spent time with isn't simply just because she fulfills needs A, B, and C that make my life easier. Um, there's, there's a much bigger reason for that. And so as we think about this word with this morning, as you contemplate and think about the people that you've spent your time with even this week, I want us to be reminded that the idea of a relationship comes to mind when we think of this idea of with. People we've committed ourselves to, people who have our time and attention on a daily basis because of the relationship we have with them, people who are close to us not only physically in proximity but because they have a role in our lives and allows them to be known by us and for us to be known by them. And so in a moment, we're going we're to turn our attention from these human relationships, and we're going to open our Bibles to Matthew, and we're going to see this word with used. And so I want us, as we open God's word, to be thinking about this one question of what was your life with God like this week? For those of you in Christ, what was your life with God like in this past week? So as we open our Bibles this morning, as we read from Scripture, I want us to be reminded of several things. As we study God's word together, this is our act of worship this morning, that we should allow God's word to continually shape what a life with God looks like. And so as we study the name of Jesus and Emmanuel this morning, which means God with us, we're going to allow God's word to shape us to cultivate wonder and awe and worship of the God who is indeed with us. So would you guys join me this morning? We're going to open to the very beginning of Matthew chapter 1. So if you guys can find Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, the first 17 verses of Matthew, interesting, it lays out the genealogy of Jesus, and then we're going to see Matthew turn our attention to the nativity or to the birth of Jesus, and that's where we're going to begin. We're going to begin reading in Matthew 1, chapter 18, where it says, the birth of Jesus came about in this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So we see in this passage a description of how the birth of Jesus came to take place. We read about Joseph and his considerations to divorce Mary as she become pregnant. Unbeknownst to Joseph at this time, that this child conceived by the Holy Spirit is God incarnate. That this child is the Word made flesh. <coughs> that this child is the Savior of the world. Now, he doesn't know these things at first, and so the angel of the Lord comes to him and tells him a dream and shares these things. 
Now, I, I don't know about you, but I would imagine if those of you who've experienced childbirth have some of the same things happen that's happened to me. Um, in that season of expecting our first child, my mind was filled with questions. Right? Questions like, are we having a boy or a girl? Is the child going to look more like mom or like dad? Right? Is our child going to be healthy? Am I going to have any idea how to care for a newborn? What are we going to name our child? Like that, that one, that idea of where we're going to name our child, seems like an odd responsibility. Like the fact that I've taken part in like naming two people is, is an odd thing. Right? For some of you, may, maybe that's uh, an easy task. Maybe you fell into the category of my grandfather was named Henry, and my father was named Henry, and I am named Henry, and so my child will be named Henry. You know, but, but what if it's a girl? Well, Henrietta, of course, right? Like that would be an easy way to name children. Maybe for some of you, it was a really challenging thing. You went through name after name after name, repeating them until maybe one of them finally clicked and seemed to fit. Or maybe you just lost all sense of meaning altogether when you're running through those names. See, but here in Matthew, though, we see the angel give clear instruction to Joseph to name the child Jesus. Jesus isn't an uncommon name in that time. We even read later on the Gospels that Jesus is named Jesus of Nazareth because his hometown helps differentiate him from other people that would have been named Jesus. But that name Jesus is important. So even though we're going to focus most of our time and our attention on the name Emmanuel, God with us this morning, I don't want to go too quickly over the name of Jesus. The name Jesus means the Lord is salvation or the Lord saves. And so as Joseph's told to name the child Jesus, the Lord is salvation, the Lord saves, it's a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness to his people throughout history. Now, I don't know how many of you actually know the meaning of your own name. I get asked this from time to time. My name's Joel. What does that mean? It means the Lord is God. And I forget that sometimes. Some of you may know the meaning of your own name. You may know the history of your own name. And so as we contemplate the names of Jesus over the next several weeks, Lord, Emmanuel, and here in this moment, Jesus, I would encourage you this afternoon, look up what your name means. If you're one of uh, young ones here, ask your parents what your name means and a history to it. And connect that as we think about this name of Jesus, the Lord of salvation, what your own name is meant in your life, and then continue to let the name of Jesus, the Lord is salvation, shape who we know him to be. So Jesus, the Lord saves, is exactly what the angel tells Joseph this child will do. The angel says to Joseph, you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I have no idea what must be going through the mind of Joseph at this point in time, but it's always interesting to me to try and put myself in some of those situations and think about what must it have been like to be alive during the life of Christ. I can only imagine this would have turned his entire world upside down, all the questions about marriage and family would have faded into the background and the wonder and awe of what was going on here in this little, um, little life of his. It wouldn't have been what he expected at all. So despite his previous plans, when he awoke, he did exactly what the angel told him to do. He married Mary. She remained a virgin until after the birth of the child and Joseph named him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. See, I want it to be reminded too, this is no small feat of the obedience of Jesus. You can read in the scriptures of many accounts of people who rejected God, but it's clear the hand of God at work in his life that he had the clarity of mind 
to wake up and follow through on the commands. Now, you may have noticed that we skipped over the very part in this passage in Matthew where the name Emmanuel is given. And so let's, let's return there for a minute. If you guys want to find that verse 23 in Matthew uh, where he says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So where does this little passage come from, this group of verses that we're reading this morning? So you can read about the life of Christ throughout the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Matthew has this feature of always pointing back towards the Old Testament. We see it right from the very beginning as he lays out carefully the genealogy of Jesus. And so we see here at the very beginning of Matthew him pointing back to the book of Isaiah. Specifically, it's Isaiah 7 where he's quoting from. We see this word Emmanuel show up. You can read in Isaiah 7 about King Ahaz and uh, one, one of the kings of Judah and his failure to trust God. And Isaiah sending a sign by God's command. And right there in verse 14 is where we read this passage. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And reading about and studying about this passage, uh, many scholars point to a near or partial fulfillment of this prophecy in that period of time, but a far and ultimate fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ. And so as you pull from the Old Testament, see Matthew come back and bring that in the New Testament, I can't help but be reminded of our children back there. If you spend any time back there or don't necessarily go back there very often because you don't have kids that age, I would encourage you to go and look at the wall along the back. Each week with our children are pointed to the fact that the entirety of Scripture from the Old Testament to the New points forward to our Messiah. We can see the foreshadowing of the coming Christ and a pointing forward to our Messiah. So you see the same God had Isaiah tell of a virgin birth that would result in Emmanuel, God with us, is the same God that had Matthew tell of a virgin birth that would result in Emmanuel, God with us. We can see God fulfilling his promises to his people, albeit in many times unexpected ways. And so as we move from Isaiah and we travel back to Matthew and the ultimate fulfillment of Emmanuel, God with us in Jesus, I want us to be reminded, the young back there, and, and the not-so-young here of the faithfulness of our God. The God who created the universe. The God who knit each one of you together and knew you before you knew yourself. The God who holds all things together. The God whose very presence goes beyond our finite brains to fully understand came to fulfill the promise of Messiah born as a, a baby. God with us, Emmanuel, as we move through this Advent season, it would be good of us to remind our brothers and sisters in the faith of our God, who is both transcendent and holy other, yet is also imminent here with us. God, in many ways, beyond our comprehension, yet at the same time knows us and is knowable by us as his children. Jesus, fully God and yet also fully man. And so as we spend time over the next several weeks in wonder and amazement at the birth of our Lord and Savior, to also, right behind it, we see the cross and be reminded that that same baby born in a manger is our high, priestly, or is our high priest. And we read in Hebrews 4.15 that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, as Stephen said this morning, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. 
as we wonder at the birth of our Lord and Savior, to be reminded of the penalty he paid for sin on the cross. A verse that may be very, very common to those who've maybe been around a church, but isn't one that's always necessarily brought up as often during this Christmas season. In the third book of John, chapter, chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. As we wonder and sit in amazement at the manger, be reminded of that same Christ who died for us, rose on the third day. In the beginning of Matthew, we see the birth of Jesus, and here at the end, we see the women who went to the tomb and encountered an angel and tells them, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So as we spend time at the manger this Christmas season, brothers and sisters, let's not forget the cross. In our wonder and amazement at the birth of Jesus, again, Emmanuel, God with us, let us also stand in wonder and amazement at the death and the resurrection of our Lord. See, this name Emmanuel only shows up in a handful of places explicitly written in the Bible, but its imprint is everywhere throughout the New Testament. We see it in the people who proclaim Christ as Messiah, even though they don't fully understand what he's come to do. We see it in the disciples, and we see it Peter when he confesses Jesus as the Christ of God. And we see it in Jesus' own words at the end of Matthew, when he tells his disciples, I am with you to the end of the age. And there's that word with again. There at the very beginning, at the end of Matthew's gospel, I am with you to the end of the age. So as we take in awe and wonder at our Lord and our Savior, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, I want us to turn our attention for a few moments this morning to the heart of our Lord. I want us to move to John chapters 14 through 17. It's a wonderful place to read and be reminded of the presence of God. As we read through these passages, I'm going to read a few of them, and you can close your eyes and just think about what it means for God to be with us Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, and then we're going to focus in on a passage in the 17th chapter. So in the 14th chapter, you can actually read Jesus' words when he's speaking to his disciples, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father, and from now on you do know him and have seen him. A little later on in chapter 14, we hear Jesus promise the Holy Spirit when he tells, If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. As you move on through these passages of Scripture, we see Jesus talk about this picture of the vine and the branches. It's a reminder that we are in desperate need of God's saving grace and that apart from him, we're incapable of doing any good. That we every day, every hour, every moment must be connected to the true vine, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, remain in me and I in you. Emmanuel, God with us. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. 
you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. See, although that name Emmanuel is never explicitly mentioned throughout this part of John, you can see its imprint everywhere. Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. He promises to be with those who declare him as Lord, as we learned about last week, and follow his commands as a way of life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Just right even there is a beautiful picture of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Emmanuel, God with us. He tells his disciples they need him like a branch needs the vine for our very survival, for life. And in order to produce any fruit, we must be connected to Jesus, our vine, comforted, exhorted, admonished, corrected, pruned, and ultimately allowed to flourish as we hold fast to the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, captivated by his mercy as our Lord. And we clearly see the heart of our God at the end of this section. So this is the second passage I want us to focus and zero in on this morning in the 17th chapter of John. So you want to turn to the 17th chapter of John, starting the 17th verse. We actually read the prayers of Jesus to God the Father. And this part starts with, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world, speaking of his disciples. I sanctify, I, I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. And then he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. See, Emmanuel, God with us, not explicitly stated there, has its imprint all throughout Christ's prayer. Here Jesus is praying for his disciples. In addition to having conversations about the, the name of Jesus and your own names and the history of them, I encourage you to read through the entire prayer in John 17 this afternoon. But for the moment, we're going to focus in on this picture of Jesus as he prays to the Father, sanctifying or setting himself apart for God as he prepares for the cross, sanctifying those disciples who had followed him and then turns his attention to not only pray for the disciples, but those who would believe in him through their word. Family of God, that, that's you this morning, and that's me this morning. He says, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us. And I really like the way this points me back and reminds me and reminds us this morning of that picture of the vine and the branches. Our family does a bit of gardening in the summer, and I've, I've seen branches detach from that vine and how quickly they shrivel up and die. And so as we picture this, we need to be reminded that in order to survive, we need to be attached and abide in the vine that is Jesus Christ. We can see all the unique branches I look out and see you guys this morning. Right, different parts of the body of Christ working together in unity under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Different parts different giftings, but all under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, is not simply a seasonal word for Christmas, but it's the very essence of a life of a follower of Christ. And so as, as we contemplate this idea of with, this idea of God with us, I want us to take and pause for a moment, what is a life with God characterized by? When we go back to the beginning as we were thinking about who we spent our week with, Reminded, it wasn't simply just physical proximity. 
right? It's, it's not just being present in a church building. It's not just being around the people of God. It's not just having a couple of Bibles on our shelf. Just physical proximity to the things of God does not characterize a life with God. It's not, it's not about the give or the get. It's not about doing something for God to appease him. Like volunteering in a ministry so that you might earn God's approval. And it's not doing something simply to get something from God. We don't pray simply to receive from God. We don't give of our time and our resources simply to get something from God in return. Church family, we share the gospel. We open our Bibles as we have here this morning. We gather together corporately in community groups and in homes throughout the area because God's rescued us from sin and from death. He's made us a new creation, and God is present with us here and now in this moment and all the moments of our lives. As followers of Christ, we've been restored and redeemed by the cross of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, does look like this. Prayer is communion with God. Not a compartmentalized area of life, more of the way it speaks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In three short verses where it says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As we read the Lord's Prayer, there's this nice uh, broken out acronym that reminds me and has been very impactful for me. And I've shared it before, and I want to share it here again, the idea of Acts. A, C, T, and S, which represents adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. In those little prayers before dinner and bedtime, it's, it's easy to focus on thanking God for what he's done in our lives, which is, which is something we should always um, do in our prayer life, and then turn directly to supplication, our ask for God. But as we, as we spend time at the manger this Christmas season, to take a look back and think about those first two, the idea of adoration of God and the confession of our desperate, desperate need for him. What if your life with God this week started off before you put your feet on the floor with two thoughts or two words that stated out loud? God, thank you for giving me breath in my lungs and for waking me up this morning. And I need you. Right, whatever the circumstances are that you may be facing today, even if you don't know what they are, that God, I need you in those moments. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Our lives should be characterized by prayer as a way of life and communion with our Heavenly Father. Emmanuel, God with us in the Bible, is God's active and living word. In the book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, which a number of our community groups have studied over the years, there's a quote that reminds me of the beauty of knowing God through his word when the author states, let the word break over your heart and mind again and again as the years go by, and imperceptibly there will come great changes in your attitude and your outlook and your conduct. You'll probably be the last to recognize these. Often you'll feel very, very small. Because increasingly the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. So go on reading it until you can read no longer. And then you will not need the Bible anymore. Because when your eyes close for the last time in death. And never again read the words of God in scripture. You're going to open them to the word of God in the flesh. That same Jesus of the Bible, whom you have known for so long, standing before you to take you into your forever eternal home. Emmanuel, God with us in our lives together as God's people, unified under the lordship of Jesus Christ, 
so that Jesus' words that we read in John 17 might come to fulfillment. May they also be in us, so that the world may know that you sent me. As we leave from here this morning, may that be true of us, that we would be Emmanuel, God with us, so that the world may know that he was sent by God. I asked the, uh, Darren and the worship team to come back up in the next couple of moments. I want to just uh, remind us of who can have this life with God. What does it look like for believers to have this life with God? This is not only for, for the new believers, but also for those that have walked with God for years and years. Those of you who have spent decades following God, you have the ability to share what the faithfulness of God has been like in your life. New believers, if you've come to faith in Christ this last month or this last week, or even if this is the day of your own salvation, you can declare, just like the uh, blind man in John 9 when he says, I don't know much about this Jesus. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. You can share the transformative power of Jesus Christ in our lives. The believers that have a life with God may be in rejoicing or might be in suffering here as we move into this Christmas season. We're called in Romans 12 to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so whatever season we find ourselves in, whether it's rejoicing, that that would be pointed to glorify God, or whether we find ourselves in, in suffering in this time during Christmas season, that we would come together as the family of God, be reminding that God is truly with us, Emmanuel, God with us. The extroverts, the introverts here, those of you who, that as we dismiss, find it difficult to talk to anyone, and those of you who will be standing out there as the light shut off and doors lock, and will be the last ones to leave here, God is calling all types of people to him as the family of God. The young and the old alike, those of you who have spent a lifetime with God and have seen the ups and downs of life, you have the opportunity to share what the faithfulness of God has meant to you. And our children back there, the young ones that are following God in their little ways, have a wonderful way to help us understand and see the childlike faith that Christ calls us to. It doesn't matter your age here on earth. We're, if you are found in Christ, God Emmanuel with us, you are a child of God. And so as we get ready to sing this morning and lift our voices in worship, I want to leave you with a quote from an author that has, has been impactful to me over the years as we remind ourselves of what Emmanuel, God with us, means. It says, life with God is so far beyond our imagination that it must be revealed to us. We can't begin to imagine the beauty that exists beyond the shadows. A light beyond ourselves must be turned on. In the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of our Savior. So we can begin to see. And it's precisely what occurred when God took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. As we close, I want to read to you the words of Jesus, our Lord, Emmanuel, God with us. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given to me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, er, and these know that 
that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them.